Amen. Great worship this morning. Thank you guys for being here today. Welcome to Connect Church. Uh, my name is Terry Pierce. I had the wonderful privilege of being the lead pastor here for almost 20 years, and uh, we're thankful that you guys are in the house today. Uh, I've got to be up front with you and tell you that uh, in the first service we had, probably for the first time uh, in my tenure here, uh, that uh, we had more folks in the first service than we did in the second, and, uh, and it continually growing. But uh, here's the thing. I told them, I said, one of two things. Either you guys are really just so smart that you know that the restaurants don't have any servers and so that you want to make sure that you got out and got into the restaurants quicker. Or number two is you guys in the first service just know how long-winded your preacher is and so you just came so you'd make sure you had time, probably latter. But anyway, uh, let me just tell you some really cruel, cool news to uh, uh, celebrate with God today and then we're going to get into the message. Uh, God is amazing and we just give him the glory for all of this. But uh, in our staff meeting this week, we were going through the prayer times, praying over you guys, uh, praying about the vision, the ministry, making sure that we're on track with our agenda and, and what God has led us to do here and walking through all of the analytics. Of, and so as the numbers came in and we analyzed them this week, for the first time, we're announcing today, in the 90-year history of Connect Church, in the month of April, we averaged averaged over 400 in attendance in the first time in church's history. Give God a round of applause. What, a, what an amazing thing that he is doing. And uh, people got saved in April, baptized and joined the church, and we just give him all the glory. Well, uh, let's dive in this morning to where we're at in our sermon series. And we're halfway point through our journey through the book of Philippians that we simply entitled Joy in the journey. Joy in the journey. This morning, we're going to talk to you about another aspect of that joy in the journey of following Christ. And another piece of joy to add to your life today is what I'm going to share with you a message on this morning. And here's the outset for it. It is impossible to put a price tag on friendship. It is impossible to put a price tag on friendship. The relationships that we have in our life uh, are so significant, especially those of us in the Southern culture, that we, uh, we tend to uh, what we would call identify our friends as family. And you know how we do it. We get old Jim Bob. Oh, Jim Bob, man, I'll tell you what, he's been an old friend of mine. Jim Bob, he's like a father figure to me. And then you uh, ladies, Y'all have your sister friends, and so you've got, you know, Sister Eunice. I'll tell you what, she's just like uh, such a, a good friend to me. She's like my sister, and so I'm not sure if you really talk that way, but anyway. Uh, and then there's uh, Dan. Dan has been uh, at my side through my ups and downs, and he's like my own son. And so, man, uh, we consider many of our friends to be like family. Can I suggest to you another thought and idea? I just want to say, and I've got family here today, but the cool thing about friends versus family is friends go home. And so that's a good thing. And so uh, we've got family here today and they're leaving, so it's good. So anyway, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, friends, you know, have that impact in our life. Here's what I want to read to you as the outset of our message today that I really want to dr drill down on. Close, godly friends not only help us, but they transform us. Let me read that again to you guys. Close, godly friends not only help us. We're all good in the Southern culture about that. Man, I want a friend to help me. But here's what I want you to get your mind thinking already this morning. 
Do your friends transform you? A good example in your life, a good character in your life, will come as good friends impact your life, inspire you to have courage. They help you with your leadership. They help bring humility to your life. They help bring you down when you're posting too much on social media. They give strength to you. They're faithful to you. And may I even add that a good, godly friend that is transforming your life is going to bring you joy. Good, godly friends will bring you joy. Proverbs 17 and 17 backs this up. A friend loves at all time. Good examples in our lives prop up prop us up when we're weak. Good examples in our life. They lift our spirits when we're down and they push us on. But here's the thing that we don't really characterize in our lives, and this is important. Good godly friends tell us hard truths. Are you listening? Good godly friends tell us hard truths even when we don't like to hear them. They don't let us just get away and tell us how great we are. They tell us the hard stuff because they genuinely care about us. So we shouldn't be surprised that when we look into this book, that it is filled with many examples, God's word with many references, accounts, and accommodations of men and women who were good, faithful friends. Matter of fact, that is the title of my message today. Turn your Bibles, if you will, uh, a good example of friends today. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to look at a unique paragraph in all of the Bible, and it is unique. This is where we're at, going verse by verse through the book of uh, Philippians. So now, let me just pause for a second while you turn your Bibles. You can't talk about friends Friends are forever, and you cannot even process this point of your life if you don't think about the 90s classic song that was played for the last 20 years in every church in America during graduation ceremonies, and as ladies get together at youth camp at the end of camp, if I saw it on stage all these last 20 years, the girls would get up on the last night of camp, and they would begin to sing, friends are friends forever, I just met you this week, and now I'll never see you again, but anyway, uh, so let's just see how Michael W. does it a lot better, y'all sing along. Go ahead and sing it. You know it. Friends and choose wrong. Live as friends. I'm not a singer. So, uh, the, uh, we all know that song. By the way, if, uh, how many of you have never heard that song before? How many of you re- never saw that song? Well, listen to Christian radio. Good night. All right, anyway, so, uh, or actually, probably, if you're that young, uh, you've never heard of the 90s music. So, anyway, I give you a pass on that. Uh, at first glance, when you look into this paragraph of, of Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, I've got to be very honest with you today. It is a bit of a downer. Actually, it's a way downer. Dr. Danny Aiken is president. It's not just me that feels this way about the text today. I know this is not a great introduction, but it's just being honest. Uh, it's always good to do in church. Dr. Danny Aiken is the president of Southeastern Seminary, a very conservative Baptist uh, institution. And here's what he says uh, about this particular paragraph. He says he will never, ever find 
any member of your church that has ever quoted or had a life memory verse out of chapter verses 19 through 30. It's just not that paragraph that anybody pulls your heartstrings. Matter of fact, he then proceeds, uh, we, we see the Apostle Paul as he writes into this, it is a very unique set of circumstances. Here's what, let me give you the buildup and then tell you why. Paul begins this book with an inspiring letter of thankfulness and appreciation to the Philippian church, and it's so encouraging to that church. He moves in to a theological position of saying, here is the humility of Christ. Christ gave us the ultimate example by laying down his life so that you and I could be saved, and it's such rich theological you know, belief system that he's pouring into the Philippian church, and then he takes a left turn out of nowhere and just like, boom, goes down, sort of like one of my illustrations. And he just takes a left turn and he nosedives into this travel log. And he tells about the travel habits of two of his best friends, Ephroditus and Timothy. And so it's really a little bit of a twist and not even kidding. But uh, Bible scholars, honestly, as I studied through this text again, I, I don't know how I'd miss it all these years. But they genuinely, there's literally almost half the scholarship that I read over, they argue and debate whether this should even be in the inspired word of God. Because it's a travel log. It's a travel, travel itinerary of where, you know, now I like it personally because I love to plan stuff for y'all that just wing it and get up and go somewhere, you know, y'all nuts. Uh, this has got a travel itinerary about where you're going, where you're going to be at, what you're going to do. And so why... Is it significant? Why would this be included in God's word? Here's what I'm contending, and I think it's so true. Paul is making the case that he's saying to us, you need to have the good theology. That's what he set us up with. But here's the context of what he's making the case for. You've got to understand, um, I want you to know it's not just what you believe, but it's your behavior. I want you to write this down in your notes this morning. Belief versus behavior. Paul is making the case that, yes, I've given you the theology of salvation and the example of Christ, and we prayed over you. But now he's going to move into a personal example, and I love this. He's going to say, these two guys, Timothy and Ephroditus, they're actually doing the work of the ministry. Their life, their personal life has been impacted by this belief, and so here's their behavior. So I'm going to tell you about their travel uh, um, uh, log. I'm going to tell you about what what they're doing. The church has often erred, to be honest with you, hear me this morning, the church has erred on the extreme issues of debate between belief versus behavior. Full disclosure, our church is 90 years old. And for all 90 years, I love history. I've researched, I've talked to all the older members, the former pastors, all of this, and covered them over the years. Our church, and I am proud to say, has stood on the word of God and has literally taught our people for 90 years how to believe this book. Fully, cover to cover, the inspired word of God for 90 years. Great preachers, we believed it, taught it in Sunday school. But honestly, our behavior in this community didn't always match what was taught in our church. We argued we have fought, we've had issues, and we really didn't do a whole lot for this community. 
to be very transparent. Matter of fact, there were years, months would go by, nobody got saved. Can you imagine going to church? We just hit our sixth straight month of somebody being saved, baptized, and joined the church. How many churches have you sent in and nobody got saved for months, nobody got baptized, and you didn't even care, you didn't even notice, you just sort of died out with the rest of it. So we've had this ongoing debate. Then there's other churches here in our community that are fantastic about doing service projects. They're out there in the community, but sometimes you wonder and question what is taught when they don't believe the word of God, and you have to ask the question on the other end of the, uh, the spectrum, are we just out doing good works and trying to do good things for people because we so, feel so guilty about how we really live on the inside? And, and, and what I think Paul is trying to make the case for is balance, this belief versus behavior that he's talking about in the text, and he's, he's, he's identified the belief in verses 1 through 12, and now he's just applying how that we need to understand our behavior. So here's what I want you to do. Those notes that I just asked you to write down, I want you to scratch them out. We've got it all wrong. It should be belief and behavior. They're not competing. There should be no debate on on belief versus behavior. It should be, are you tracking with me this morning? It should be our behavior matches our belief. They go together. And I think that's exactly why Paul includes this travel log here in the middle of this chapter on this great theology. Now, let me just pause for one more second on this issue. And if you're here today and you are not a Christian, Welcome to Connect Church. If you're listening online, what we call you guys is seekers. You're seeking to know, is this really valid? Is this really true? We want you to know this morning more than anything else, we love seekers. You, this, you guys are the reason we do church here. We know Christ. We want everybody to have a personal relationship with Christ. So thank you for coming. Thank you for looking into this a little bit more. And and we hope that you're going to be able to find the answers that God has for you because I know he really wants to give them to you and I want to help you find them as well. So some of you are here today and you're seekers and and the reason that you've never accepted Christ, and let's just be honest, is because you have seen bad examples. You've seen phony religious people who say they are Christians But when you work with them, you go to school with them, you see they live a wholly different, completely different life than what they profess that they believe in their church. And let me just say to you this morning, you seekers, what I'm going to share with you today is don't let bad examples cause you to reject a perfect, holy God who loves you. You choose today to know that we are not the perfect example, but I'm committed at Connect Church that we want to be better examples. And hang with us because we're not there yet, but we're moving in this direction of trying to to connect our beliefs to our behavior. And I'm just saying, don't throw away Christianity. Don't throw away a relationship with God because of some hypocrites or phony religious people. I know they're out there. We got them in our church. I'm telling you, God is good, and he has given us good examples to follow you go after that you go after that and so this is what Paul writes so that the church at Philippi would become in their behavior good examples of what they really believe let's read verse 19 I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I too may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him and will be genuinely concerned who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare 
For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Remember those bad examples? But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, that lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. For I am more eager to send him, notice the travel log, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him when he comes, in the Lord with all joy, honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So we shouldn't be surprised by this travelogue in God's word. The Bible is filled with references, accounts, and commendations of men and women who've been faithful friends. We tend, you know, when we think about that statement, when we think about the Apostle Paul, how many of us over the years, when you think about the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest preacher that ever lived on the face of the earth besides Jesus Christ, how do you view him and visualize him? You know how we do as American church. We visualize him as this hero. The Apostle Paul climbed over mountains to go preach the gospel to the Jewish communities. He went down into the rivers. He went across the deserts. And you picture him going through the wilderness. And, and he's got these couple of guys like Ephroditus and Timothy. And they're just following along behind this great hero missionary. And they're carrying his, his scrolls. And they're carrying his, his coat. And they're just there to encourage him, James. And, and that's how we sort of visualize this guy that was just a champion fighting for Christ. And if you view him like that, you're completely wrong. Because that's not who he was at all. The Apostle Paul depended on friends. He had great relationships. Do you know in the New Testament alone, we have five dozen names listed. Over 60 men and women that hung out with Paul, that he was friends with, that walked beside him in his journey of ministry. They supported him. He had friends all with him everywhere he went that were encouraging him and helping him out through all this process. And so the apostle Paul teaches us we need good examples in our life. And today he's going to pull out two of those. Their names are Timothy and Ephroditus. Now here's the deal. For the, our church family that knows me, if I say Ephroditus about one more time, something inappropriate is probably going to come out, so we're going to shorten this today, all right? And we're in the South, and when in the South, what do we do? We give everybody nicknames, amen? Bubba, Slick, Red, Harry, Baldy, whatever you want to come up with, but we all give uh, everybody, uh, we give everybody nicknames. So here from the rest of the message today, we're going to call Timothy and Ephroditus, Timbo and Ephro, all right? And so that's what we're going to go with this morning. And so the, these are who we're going to talk about, these two guys, and, you know, just relate to. So speaking of Timbo and Ephro, we all need friends in our life. Friends impact everything that we do. <laughs> you got to hear this. So let me illustrate it to you this way. So this little pygmy is in Africa and. He's standing on top of a dead rhinoceros. And this little bitty guy was standing on top of a dead rhinoceros. And this guy walks up. And this is a huge rhino. I mean, this massive beast. And he's standing on top of the dead rhino. 
And this man walks up to him and he goes, how in the world did, no, did you kill that giant rhino? And the little pygmy says, yes, I did. And he goes, no. <laughs> he goes, no, he, no way. He's, and he says, yes, I did. He goes, how did you kill this giant rhino? And he said, I killed him with my club. <laughs> and uh, the guy looked at him and he goes, you killed the giant rhino with your club. How big is your club? <laughs> and the little pygmy looks at him. Well, there's about 100 men in my club. Get it? So, so, so anyway, so it's not the kind of club you thought. Anyway, so uh, in other words, the... Uh, <laughs> They laughed a little bit in the first service. Anyway, uh, so the uh, yes, they did, uh, and so there was a few. Anyway, so this this little man had a hundred people that helped him with the same vision, with the same dream, and the same passion that they planned together to kill the rhino. That's exactly what Paul is saying in your life and mine. He's, God is sending a club of friends into our life. He's using more than just you, that, and he wants the people that are the same passion, that have the same conviction about your salvation, carry out the ministry of the gospel for the, for the gospel's sake. So remember, in the context that we're writing from, the Apostle Paul is under house arrest for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God sends these two friends, Timbo and Ephro, into his life to encourage the aging preacher. Now let me pause and ask you a question. Has God ever sent good examples into your life? Has God ever sent good examples into your life? Now hear me. In the South, I'm not talking about nice people who tell you what you want to hear. I'm talking about people who pour into you spiritual truth, who disciple you into a deeper relationship with Christ. Can I start today by the great place to start this morning? Many of you got your moms or your kids here today. Thank you for being here. A great place to start with this this morning is moms. And I want you to think about the good examples that moms have brought into your life. They go undervalued, they go underappreciated, and we want you to know at Connect Church, thank you. Thank you for all that you do, not just your service in the church, but for taking time to disciple your children, to pray, and to encourage us. You ladies are invaluable to our ministry. But some of you are here this morning and you're sort of cringing when I say this because the truth of the matter is some of you, probably most of the women in this room, feel insecure and inferior as a mother, as a wife, and all the responsibilities that you have to do. You're daily living under that pressure. Maybe you're older, maybe you're a grandmother now, and you have regrets that you wish you would have been maybe a little bit more of a godly mother. You would have spent more time on discipleship and whatever. Would, would you listen to me this morning, ladies? You need to learn how to let Jesus forgive you of your past. You need to get over yourself, and you now need to allow the Jesus that forgave you of your sins and redeemed you and saved you to give you hope and promise for a better future. And can I give you a really good example of this? 
And she's sitting in the room today. In my opinion, the most godly mom and wife, and my favorite, is my wife, Belen. And now here's her story, for those of you that don't know her story. She's a preacher's wife for 30-some-odd years. First of all, she not only is a preacher's wife, but she's been married to me for 30 years. And so that puts her right behind Father, Son, Holy Spirit someday. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that in her lifetime, she has not been the perfect mom. Notice what I said. She's a great mom. And she's a good mom, and she's a good wife, and she's done all of those things. But you need to know her story this morning for those of you who are living with guilt about your past. She didn't grow up. You know how we do church stuff. If we were to pick out who's supposed to be a pastor's wife, you know how we've done it over the years. We judge the little girls in the group. Oh, that little girl, she's going to grow up to be a pastor's wife. We were so stupid with all those analogies and things. Let me explain something to you. My wife did not grow up with her mom carrying her to church. She didn't wear a dress to church. She didn't hit all of the check boxes of what a perfect person that's going to grow up to be a pastor's wife supposed to be. Her mom never carried her to church. Her mom did not like church. Matter of fact, she didn't come to her wedding, David, because she married a preacher. Well, it probably had something to do with me. But anyway, uh, but she didn't come uh, to her wedding because she seriously told her, you're throwing your life away and you'll never have any money if you marry a preacher. She got the last part right. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, Belen pursued God. You listen to me, all of those of you that keep making excuses in your life, she pursued God anyway. Most importantly, God pursued her. And she went to church by herself. She went to church on her own. And God would lead her to meet an incredible man. <laughs> and God would lead her uh, to, to uh, meet this guy that she felt sorry for and become a preacher's wife, and, and here's how it goes. Not only did it just go utopia because she had me, she had three boys, and they acted like their dad, and so she had to survive with four boys in those house all those years. And honestly, there would be a season in her life. No such thing as perfect moms. No such thing as perfect examples where she would struggle in a dry season in her life. She's told all of this publicly. She was trying to live and be different than what her mom was in her past. She would go get counseling. <laughs> you're married to me, you would too. She would have to struggle in a season in her life of trying not to let the guilt of the, honestly, the way that she was raised. She kept trying to live up to this image to be this free will Baptist pastor's wife that that stupid vision that we had back in the day in the church. The well, pastor's wife is supposed to do this. Who gives you the right to judge what anybody should be or vice versa? And then she was trying to be this mom that her mom wasn't. But you know what she found in the meantime, James? She found Jesus Christ who loved her. And he says, you don't have to be a perfect pastor's wife. You don't have to be a perfect mom. What you do is you got to know the one that is perfect. My name is Jesus. I heal you when you have a bad day. I forgive you when you don't get it all right. And the food's cold or they've got moldy bread or whatever else is going on in your life. I'm just telling you, it's okay. Because what she found was a God who loves her, who redeems her. And he is the one that made her a good mom. He's the one that made her a good pastor's wife. You know, do the same in your life. He's the good example. And we pursue him. And we pursue him. 
And just because God is good, because he is so good, and when you're faithful and obedient to fall in love with him, and quit trying to excuse yourself with your hand. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care how many mistakes you've made as a mom. Listen to me. Today, stop it. You allow Jesus to make you who you are. Every one of you women are different. None of you are the same. God never called you to be like somebody else or to be Sister Belen. He made you the mom and the wife that you are. You pursue him, and you enjoy your relationship with him as he made you. And here's what he will do. He will bless you through all of the faults, through all of the struggles. Guess where Belen's at today? For the first time in 10 years, Her three boys and her grandchildren are all in the house sitting with her today. God gives you victory moments. He gives you big days and good days. You be faithful. You be a good example. And I promise you, God will bless you through the process. So this morning, let me ask you another question. Who are the good examples in your life? Who are you setting an example for? Look at me this morning. Maybe if you would spend more time focusing on being a good example and helping others, maybe you wouldn't have so much time to feel sorry for yourself and beat yourself up over the past and quit making excuses. Who are you pouring your life into? New Testament scholar, D.A. Carson, one of the most brilliant minds of our day, he says we need examples in our lives, and he says we need people who know how to pray for us. We need examples in our life who teach us how to live. We need examples in our life that help us disciple, know how to be discipled. He concludes with this thought and this statement, and here's what I want you to write down, and this is everything in the message is about today. Christian character is much is as much caught as it is taught. That is, it is picked up by constant association with mature Christians. D.A. nails it. Christian character is as much caught as it is taught. In other words, moms, you don't have to know the Bible inside and out. There's been no kid None of our three boys that have grown up today that could quote to you all the scriptures. What they learned from Belen was a mom who prayed for them, was a mom who confessed that when she got it wrong, was a mom who loved to go to church, who loved to worship Jesus. It's not just what you teach your kids. There is a role for family devotions. There is a role to read them the Bible. But you know what they're going to get? You know, I teach this when we dedicate babies uh, uh, on, on our dedication day is I remind the moms every dedication Sunday, is that when they bring their babies up here, you realize that moms, that little baby, looks at you, and the very first thing he sees when he is born is his mama's face. And do you know what he sees when he looks into that face? Is it's his first exposure to a God who loves him, and who cares about him more infinitely than that baby will ever know in their life. What a privilege to be a mom. You get to share with your children, not here, but the heart for a loving God who loves you and died for you. So ladies and gentlemen, I think that we need to get this down in our life, that Christian character 
is caught as much as it is taught. That's why Jesus, that's why Paul in this past passage tells us about the role of Ephro and Timbo. He's saying they're doing the work of the ministry. I love the fact that discipleship is going on at Connect Church. Last, a week ago, Saturday night, we're trying to live this out. It's caught more than taught. Belinda and I are coaching discipleship. We're moving in this, you know, this movement of, of helping everybody in our church be in a personal D group. Last, a week ago, Saturday night, uh, in our very first ever supper, and to coach the leaders that are our disciple makers, we had about 24 disciple leaders in our church that are either currently discipling two or three other people or in the process of getting ready to start their discipleship group. We had about six more that was out on vacation. And by the way, we had a ton of folks out at the beach last week and again this Sunday. Here's the new rule. If you're going to be at the beach on Sunday, get her extra room for Blynn and I because we're coming. All right, anyway, so I'm just saying. So here's the thing. about. So we had this supper with discipleship, and we've got, you know, these folks here, about 30 folks and all in tow. And here's the dream that we've been desiring for. You know, we've been praying about this for three years now. By the end of this year, each one of these 30 leaders discipling two or three people, we hope to have 90 people in our church being discipled by the end of the year. Good friends, good examples, pouring in to one another. This is what Ephro and Timbo were doing into the Paul, Apostle Paul's life. And I'm telling you, let me ask you again, what kind of example are you setting? Who are you pouring your life into? And you know how we do it in church, don't you? We champion over the years. And there's a place for this. The Jim and Elizabeth Elliots, who laid their life on the line, became martyrs for Jesus Christ, great heroes of the faith. But you know what we've mistakenly done? Is we set that bar so high for the average person sitting in the pew that we go, well, I'm never going to go to the Anka Indians and, you know, be martyred for my faith. So I can't really be a good example to anybody. Jesus didn't ask you to. Most of you will never be asked to do that kind of sacrifice. Francis, Francis Craddock writes a great article that I read this week that I think is going to help you guys get this down. He says in the article, he says, you know, laying your life on the line, those great missionary stories, is like God gives you $1,000. Your life is worth $1,000. And you go and you slap it on the table. And you go, God, I'm super spiritual. I'm a member of Connect Church. I'm willing to lay my life down. You know, just take my life and use it. But that's not how God works in most of our lives. You know what he does? This is so cool. He goes on to write, Craddock does. He says, God asks you to take that $1,000 bill, your life, and he asks you to go to the bank and exchange it for quarters. Get $1,000 worth of quarters. Now, that's a big piggy bank, I grant you. And what God wants you to do with your life is every day, God wants you to deposit 25 cent pieces into people's life for his glory. The thousand, I'm going to lay my life down for your glory. You know how he wants you and I to do it? He wants you and I today to go and, and to listen to that little kid in the nursery and sit in there and talk to them. And when that little kid in children's church is, you know, talking about crazy stuff, you just have time to coach them and teach them. You just made a 25, uh, 25 cent deposit into that kid's spiritual life for the glory of God. When you change a diaper in the nursery so a mom can 
sit here in the church and have a little hour with God. You just made a 25 cent deposit into that family understanding the glory of God. When you go to the nursing home this week and you listen to that person who's been sitting in silence by COVID and nobody can come see them and you just let them talk and you love on them, you're making a 25 cent deposit for the glory of God. What God wants you guys to do is every day of your life, look for opportunities to deposit little moments of God's glory into other people's lives. Isn't that good? And that's something you can do. This isn't a message for you to lay down your life. This is a message for you and I to simply love on other people that God puts into our life. That's discipleship. In essence, believing, oh, we've made this huge mistake in a conservative church. Believing is not enough. God's model of learning is by doing. This past Wednesday night, back in the day when I first pastored here, I would have never done this, but I love how God is changing me and you. This past Wednesday night, um, we recognized that in our neighborhood, literally just one street up on Elvis Presley and Ranch Road, 45 homes got damaged by the tornado that came. That was not supposed to be here, but we live in Tupelo, so it'll probably be another one tomorrow. Matt Lapon. And anyway, and so um, we realized that this is our neighborhood. And the Holy Spirit began to pray, man, and it's a neighborhood that we really honestly haven't tapped into like we need to. And the Lord just said, I want you to go do. But Jesus, we've got church on Wednesday night. And you know in the first book of whatever says you have to have church on Wednesday night at 6.30 because we'll die and go to hell if the church people don't, you know, be there in any way. And it's a good, we have prayer. It's a great service. And so we had a group that stayed here and prayed. But then the rest of our church this Wednesday night organized them, John and Jeannie and others. And we just went up the hill. And we took a bag of goodies, water, food, and a Kroger gift card and knocked on all 45 doors. Took us 30 minutes and just said, hey, we are doing what God has given us in our hearts and lives. We're not just believing, we're doing this. And it was so cool. I went up there, had to be back to finish out the lesson. So I knocked on the door in the very first house in the subdivision. And this black lady comes to the door and she's looking at me, and she's like, what, what do you need, you know, what, what do you want? And, uh, and I just reached out with a bag of goodies and the Kroger gift card, and I said, um, I go to church down the street here at Connect Church. I said, you know where we're at? She goes, yeah, I've been by there. And I said, we just want to come by tonight and say we love you. We're so sorry for what's happened to you. And this is just a little small way of saying you're being prayed for. And if we can help you in any other way, we would love to have you come and hear more about Jesus at our church. And that lady just stepped back and she goes, wow, nobody's knocked on my door. Nobody's ever invited me. Thank you. Thank you so much for caring. We can preach about Jesus and salvation till the cows come home, but that lady could die and go to hell if we never go and do what God has called us to do. We know it here, folks. It's time that we deposit 25 cents a day into God's glory, into people's lives. Amen? I'm just telling you this morning, he wants you and I to do that. So 
What does that look like in your life? How? I want you to get your notes out this morning, and we're going to learn from Otimbo and Ephro some practical things. So I've got like 10 seconds here to finish this out. So let me give you this real quickly this morning, and we're going to move through this real quickly. A practical application. Uh, we'll give you some practical things to take up with you today to learn from Otimbo and Ephro. Number one, we have an example of compassion. Paul says, if you want to really be this good example, then we need to be an example of compassion. Paul says in the text, no one was like-minded as Timothy. The Greek word here that is used for like-minded has the idea, the connotations, that Timothy had the exact same soul and mind for t- that, t- that uh, Paul did for the ministry and the sake of the gospel. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. For I have no, I- uh, no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Therefore, for they all seek after their own interest. Sounds like Baptist. Not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy's proven word, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy had the same like-minded, the soul and the mind that the apostle Paul did. He loved people. He loved God. He was compassionate about this. And so God wanted to use him. And I mean, Paul wanted to use him to go back to the church to encourage the church. Now, here's what I want you to write down about this thought. True compassion is not to help broken people feel better about themselves. I know what we do in the Southern culture. True compassion is not to help broken people feel better about themselves. Godly compassion helps people become obedient and holy. That's good. You're not there. Do do you, you realize the mistake that we make in the church? The mistake that we make in the church is that we want and do things to help people feel better about themselves. Here's Compassion, understand this, compassion is not because some of you feel so guilty about the way you're living. You love to do good things to help people, but then you can't wait to have them pat you on the back or so you can post on social media, look what I did, look what I did to serve. I feel better about me and my sorry mess. That's just compassion. That doesn't cut it. What Paul's talking about is godly compassion. Godly compassion says, I'm going to do the tough stuff to help you. I may challenge you. I'm going to tell you what you don't want to hear because my goal is compassion. Are you listening to me, you softies? Godly compassion says, I'm going to challenge you to become obedient and holy before God. That is what Paul was talking to. Do you know in my life, real quickly, uh, I was 18 years of age and uh, just... Uh, answered the call to go to Bible college, and God was leading me down the road of ministry. I'd given up my dream to go to Ren Lake College and become a state champion high school basketball coach. And anyway, and so, and to play. And uh, so I was in that process. This 60-year-old preacher, man, I thought that guy was older than dirt. He was, you know, as old as David Mills, 60-year-old preacher, thought he was older than dirt. Now I look back on it, he was really young. Uh, just saying, anyway, and uh, so he was this worn-out, ball-headed preacher at 60 years of age, and you know what he used to do in my life? Godly compassion. He just took this 18-year-old stupid kid under his wing, this preacher, this busy, he was on the International Missions Board. I mean, he was, he was a pretty well-known, uh, awesome guy by the name of Jerry Presley. This great preacher took an 18-year-old kid, and he took me to play golf. And when we went and played golf, he didn't tell me how to be a pastor. He didn't tell me great spiritual theological truths, Franks. You know what he did? He just sucked at golf. And he ta- I, the reason I still suck at golf is because Jerry was terrible. We would tee off. 
And we would hit cars in the parking lot, and the preacher would go, that's hilarious, and then get in the cart and let's go before they catch us. <laughs> anyway, I mean, this was the preacher. And we would just have fun. You know what Jerry Presley taught me? He taught me how to fall in love with Jesus. He taught me how to love people, how to love God. Not great theological truths. He just gave me a heart to be a pastor and to be a preacher of the gospel. What God is looking for is to us to have compassion, to lead people to be obedient to Christ. And we call this discipleship. You know, one of the things that I'm really most proud about in our church, we've got this ministry of, of older ladies. I didn't say old ladies, Dean Harrington, but older ladies that uh, lead what's called Daughters of the King. And they disciple young girls. Now, this is cool. They're not lecturing them in a Sunday school class. What they're doing is they're teaching them practical life skills. How how you cook, how you clean, and how you do other stuff, but at the same time, they're compassionately pouring into them a love for God. That is being caught, not just taught. That is what they're doing. This is what discipleship looks like, guys. It is caught, not taught. Number two, the example of companionship, and I got to rush through this. The example of companionship. Paul says, how do you guys become putting those 25 cents for the glory of God into other people? You become people of companionship. Most Bible scholars agree. I never heard this before until this week. Paul, Timothy was there helping Paul handle his legal appeals before the Roman trial. He was there to assist Paul. He, Timbo, was Paul's companion. He was there with him to encourage him and help him through this season. And Paul says, let me send this companion to be a companion for you, church. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, basically his trial. Is anybody in your life, is there anybody in your life that is just there for you and they challenge you to grow closer to God? I want you to think this morning about those good examples in your life and mine. I'm not talking about just friends. I'm talking about Friends that really challenge you to grow in your life. Now, this is a very critical point to the message, and I've got to hang out here for just a second. Some of you all frustrate the living daylights out of me. I need you to listen and get this down. You're sitting here this whole time in the message, and if I could fold my arms, I would, and you're just sitting there going, I ain't got no friends in my life. Look at me. There's probably a reason. And you hate messages like this, and you feel sorry for yourself because I don't have any good examples in my life. I try to get friends and blah, 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 blah. Stop it. Now listen to what I'm saying to you this morning and get this down. The friendships, that, the godly examples that I'm talking about that have challenged me in my life, they have not fallen into my lap they haven't pursued me because I'm a preacher. I know this is going to come as a huge shock to you all, but I really don't have very many friends. And the truth of the matter, what few friends I do have that are really godly good examples in my life that really take time with me, I've had to pursue them. Did you hear what I just said? I had to pursue them. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. There's been, God, there's been godly people that God has put into my life. There was a preacher by the name of Vernon Barker when I was in Nashville, Tennessee. This guy was pastoring one of the most highly successful and fruitful churches. And I, know, I knew that that guy was somebody I needed to learn from. I pursued a relationship. He tried to run from me. 
He was like, man, I've got other stuff to do. I wouldn't let him go. I pursued a relationship, and Vernon Barker preached my ordination. He, he was the guy that's preached a revival in every church I've ever pastored. I pursued him because I knew I needed that guy's example in my life. Archie Ratliff would come in a middle season of my life in ministry when I would go through a very dark season and would have a youth minister that would die here and, and this whole thing. And I met him on a board meeting, but I knew that day that I met Archie Ratliff, that guy had something, and the, his heart for God, his heart for ministry, and I hounded him. I wouldn't give up on Archie. I pursued a friendship with Archie, and he poured into my life, and a big transition that's happened in this church is because I pursued that friendship with Archie Ratliff. If you want to have a good example in your life, then go after it. Quit making excuses. Well, nobody likes me. Pursue godly friendships in your life. And you know where I'm at today? I pursued a couple of more friendships in my life. And this is really awkward as crap, but two of the, of the four best friends that I have today, all four happen to be in the church this morning. And many of you guys have been with me through thick and thin. Thank you. Man, I appreciate you guys. But four of my closest friends are in the building today. And I pursued relationship with all four. Didn't happen because they fell in my lap. Tanner and Andrew, who I hired to come to this church, are two guys who pour into me, who challenge me, who frustrate me, and, uh, and who I work alongside of. But they're two of the best friends. I wouldn't have it any other way. I want to work with guys that challenge me, love me, and encourage me to pursue godly goals in my life. And the other two guys are my other two boys, Adam and Aaron, that are in the room today. Pursue godly examples into your life. Allow them to pour into you and be there for you and to encourage you. You have to make the first move. Pursue godly companionship in your life. Number three, we'll wrap it all up. Character counts in being an example. Speaking of godly laymen, Ephro was not a preacher in this story. Ephro was probably not even a deacon. He just was a godly man, just like you guys sitting in the room today, who loved God and became an example in Paul's life that helped this minister. Here's what Paul says. I have thought it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Paul said this guy's character counts. Folks, you need to pursue friends in your life where character counts and their example. And honestly, look at me this morning as we wrap all this up and we're done. The problem in the church is that we keep looking to everywhere else but within God's house and with God's people for character counts and the examples you need in your life. I'm a Chicago Bears fan and pl proudly say that and one of my moron sons is a Green Bay fan, so I disown him. But I'm a huge Chicago Bears fan. And over the years, unlike the Sissy Packers, We've had men's men that are heroes of the Chicago Bears. And I'm talking about the toughest guys that ever walked on the face of the planet. 
We had a linebacker back in the day. It's a Chicago Bears guy, one of my heroes, Dick Buckus. When he was a linebacker, he didn't tackle you. He took your head off and then stomped on it when he got you into the ground. Mike Ditka was not the greatest tight end, but he was the meanest tight end. He's been known to catch a ball, and when the guy tried to tackle him, he took his helmet off and punched him. I love that guy. Mike Singletary was our middle linebacker on the greatest football team in history in 1985. And he was the guy that called all the plays, and he was so tough week in and week out and led us to the greatest defensive Super Bowl ever. But the greatest and toughest Chicago Bears was the smallest guy on our team by the name of Walter Payton, and he's still my hero. Walter Payton, the smallest guy on the team, toughest man ever, never ran out of bounds, hit you before you could tackle him, ran for a record-setting 16,000 yards. And I love my Bears history. Notice I never mentioned a quarterback. I love my Bears history, and I love these tough men and these great guys. But here's the deal. They're really not my heroes, and they're really not my godly examples. I wonder this morning, are you listening to me, church, especially you men? How much time do you spend on your phone watching tweeting and doing all the other stuff about all these other people in your life that you're wanting to follow. And you know the truth of the matter is, Mike Ditka, Dick Buckus, Walter Payton has never helped me be a godly husband, has never helped me be a godly man or a better pastor. But you know who has? I think, listen to me, church, we undervalue and we underappreciate the godly examples in our life because we become just like the world. We're lifting up the wrong heroes. Do you know why I'm here today? It has nothing to do with Chicago Bears. I'm here today because Jerry Presley poured into an 18-year-old kid because Vernon Barker would not let that kid run away. Even though he tried to get away from me, he would take time to show him how to preach and pastor a church. Archie Ratliff, even when he was dying with cancer, was pouring into me and he said, Terry Pierce, you go, go love other pastors. Terry Pierce, I want you to become a pastor's coach one day. And guess what I'm doing this month? I'm going down to Pearl Church. I'm living out the dream that Archie placed in my heart. Why? Because a godly example poured into me. And I'm telling you this morning, it's time that we learn to value the godly examples in this house and that God has put into your life. And maybe if we spent more time appreciating and lifting up those examples, then we would have more joy in our journey. Shall we stand? Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 10.30. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like to answer, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.